Welcome to the Autonomous Vehicle Daily Tech Podcast. My name is Hassan Akram. I am the host of the Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast. This is my second podcast. And in this podcast, we will be broadcasting focused discussion on technical subject matter. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for listening. So Tal is a passionate entrepreneur. He's a co-founder of No Traffic. He is professionally a lawyer and an accountant. And uh, Tal, why don't you tell us, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, your passion, and what inspired you to found No Traffic? Personally, I, um, the age of 15, I was establishing my first, uh, first business. And since then, I was involved in several ventures. Um, at some point, I went to, uh, to university. I uh, studied uh, business law and accounting which right after I wanted to feel uh, what is it, how does a grown-up uh, person job feels like. So uh, I started to work for a consulting firm. I dealt with several various financial uh, topics and projects, uh, mainly from like the project finance and corporate finance uh, side. And after uh, almost two years that I spent with the company, which, by the way, was an amazing time and amazing people, I got to an understanding that I need to go to the other side. So instead of telling people what to do, uh, to do and to ask other people what I should do. So I took a, a jump back to the entrepreneurial uh, end, um, met or regrouped with uh, two uh, good friends of mine uh, who are coming from the deep uh, technological side. Um, the first one, his name is Uriel, he's our CTO. So he just, uh, he was uh, in a senior position in a cybersecurity startup that was just acquired by uh, IBM for $680 million. So he... Uh, had a, a time and he wanted to establish his own venture. And my other co-founder, his name is O, uh, so he's uh, also coming from the, from the tech side. And uh, he just, uh, he was uh, also working for a long time for a company um, dealing with the computer vision and deep learning uh, algorithms. And he also had a, kind of a maturity and he wanted to open his own, his own uh, uh, company. So he regrouped and um, Uriel, in his back of his mind, had an idea that he was uh, keeping from 2011, which back then he was standing in an intersection in the middle of the night and he didn't got any uh, green light. So he just tried to drive back and forth and nothing happened and he just driving crazy. So he is this type of uh, uh, people that have to understand how things are working or why they are not working and if they are not working, how can you fix them? So he had this idea in his mind and he started to roll this idea. <clears throat> we thought, we started to look at this domain. We thought that's kind of an amazing domain because it's uh, uh, haven't changed for so many years. So we took a deep dive uh, before we raised any, uh, any funds or before we uh, recruited any uh, people to the company. We initially wanted to do kind of a validation check for ourselves. At the end of the day, we invested uh, a lot of money and time and we wanted to make sure that we are on, uh, on the right path to do something which is really big. So we took a leap of faith. Um, I don't know how, but we got accepted to kind of a program and a, sort of an accelerator in the US. So we spent a few months there. Starting to learn the domain, we met with like tens of cities and uh, Department of Transportations and domain leaders and um, anyone that had any kind of uh, information or influence or know something about traffic management. And it just struck us even more when we understood that what we believe is exist is far away from the reality. So what we've discovered in a way that 
like the, the first traffic lights are invented more or less about 100 years back. And uh, in every intersection, there is a traffic light controller, which is simply the, that's called the brain of the intersection, right? And this traffic light controller, his job is to change the lights on and off and provide uh, a green light to the various approaches in a safe manner. Now, the first traffic light controllers were electromechanical, so they had like a dial that was turning. An average cycle was about 120 seconds. And uh, in order to tell the traffic light controller how to allocate this green light time between the different phases, cities were doing manual traffic counts, creating timing plan, which later on they implemented into the controller, and this is how it works. Now, fast forward to today, and nothing really changed too much. So most of the traffic light controllers are not electromechanical anymore. Most of them are digital, but from the methodology side, the functionality, functionality wise, nothing changed. They still have this fixed cycle. Cities are still using manual traffic counts to create uh, timing plans, which later on being implemented into the controller. And this is how the system works for the next three to five years until it's being retimed again. In fact, according to the US Department of Transportation, more than 99% of the traffic lights in the US are not reacting in real time to what really happened on the road. And when we started to explore, we saw that it, that's true also for Europe, uh, to Southeast Asia, and probably to the entire world. Now, I think that that, together with some other trends that we've seen, uh, at the end of the day, I think that timing is probably the most important factor. Um, you know, it's kind of a, uh, this, this problem, many people ask me, how come no one solved it before? And there are very several good reasons for this. One, I think that the maturity of the technology was not there. There are a lot of technological uh, challenges. And one example is that one of our uh, board members, his name is uh, Professor Matan Gartner, he invented the first system in the world, the first algorithm that optimized traffic lights uh, intersection in real time. Back then, about 50 years back, he came, he approached cities, and he said, I can solve your traffic problems. And they told him, you know, by all means, let's do it. And he said, all you need to do is to put one mainframe computer in every intersection, and that's it. We got it. And obviously, they told him it's, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, he, was, he was coming from the academia. Today, we could get the same amount of compute using this thing. So the maturity of technology is one side. The other side was the, uh, let's call it the human factor. We see more and more and more, in a way, younger uh, people or younger in the spirit, in a way, that's more open for technology, that work for cities and say, you know, how come we can order stuff from Amazon and get it in like two hours, whereas on our daily operation, we're still using spreadsheets from the 70s or methodologies like counting traffic with our hands, um, it doesn't make sense. It, there must be some better solution. So the human factor is another one. And the third angle is the entire development from the mobility side, uh, mainly the automotive, which is super fascinating. But I think that the entire focus, if we take like, if you, if you go four, five years back, the entire industry thought that if we'll upgrade the vehicles, we're going to solve all the problems in the world. So there will be no traffic jams, no accidents, uh, everything will be amazing. And when the time flies, also all the car manufacturers started to understand, I think the entire industry understand it, it's not just the vehicle. 
The vegan is an important component, that, that's for sure. But the entire ecosystem has to be connected to make it efficient. So the analogy is that if we go back to 1908, when the first T-Mobile vehicle was presented by Henry Ford, it was not just the vehicle. Now you need roads and you need gas stations and you need garages and you need a lot of things around it to support the vehicle. Because without them, if you have a vehicle with no roads, you cannot do anything with the vehicle. If you have no gas station, you cannot do anything with the vehicle. Um, if you cannot fix your vehicle, it's worthless. So it's becoming more like very similar to what we've seen back then. We're in the doorstep of a new era where the vehicle is transforming to be something digital and the entire surrounding have to be digital as well in order to support it and to utilize all those amazing capabilities that all of us want to enjoy, enjoy from. So the third factor in terms of timing was that the OEMs, the car manufacturers, uh, were starting to push cities to upgrade their infrastructure to support those vehicles. And cities were clueless because there is no regulation no standardization, and no one tell them what to do. So just imagine that you sit now in an office in a city and you have very influential companies like you know, the car manufacturers, specifically in Germany. Like those are big uh, companies that have a lot of reputation. And now they're telling you, do something with the infrastructure. And you're like, you know, what, what do you mean? Um, what should I do? How should I do? Uh, there's a lot of question of who's who going to pay for it, who's going to maintain it, uh, who's going to be liable for this. So it became like a very chaotic topic. And what we saw that because there is no regulation or standardization, cities are hesitate to do uh, stuff. Bear in mind that this is a public money. And if now a city go and deploy something, and from some reason they find out in a year after that this something is worthless, they spend public money. That's not good. So they prefer to try to do stuff or to not to do stuff or to do some minor things. So they were very hesitant in terms of like, what should we do? Now you can add to all of this stuff, this whole debate between um, the communication uh, between vehicle and vehicle and vehicle infrastructure, like the two standards, the CV2X and the, the V2X, uh, oh, sorry, the DSLC. This is just add another layer of complexity because for them, it's even much easier to say now, you know, until you're going to solve it, we're just going to wait because we cannot bet on one standard if tomorrow the standard is going to be completely different. So this entire ecosystem from our end, or this entire, all this pressure that came from a lot of angles um, showed us there is amazing opportunity to build a company that will solve all this complexity. And this is why and how we established the company back then. We brought all of our friends on board and uh, that came to work in the beginning, uh, um, you know, because they understood that there is amazing domain that it's not being disrupted or not being changed at all by technology. And there's a huge potential to build something really big. Um, so that's kind of uh, how, we, uh, how we started.